This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it's time for Heart Mojo with Melinda Smith. And Melinda, you have a guest today, so it's not just you and I not having a conversation. Right, like so, we've been doing lately. Absolutely. So who is your guest today? My guest is Jim Kaler from the Kaler Law Firm. How are you, Jim? I'm fine, thanks. You? So, you know, the deal with Heart Mojo is about getting through life's challenges. And this is what you do every day. You help people get through their challenges. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, I call what I do life care services. It, I help people need long-term care, which uh, for many other attorneys is called elder law. I help people who have disabilities or special needs, and that's called special needs law. Uh, and I look after people who have chronic illnesses and are afraid they're going to turn into long-term care needs. Uh, but I also work with care coordinators. My care coordinators happen to be nurses. Uh, so we have people looking at legal affairs and how to spend their money to support their lifestyle. That's mostly me. And people looking out after their care and support services to make sure they're getting what they're supposed to be getting. And those are my care coordinators. And together, I call the whole thing life care services. So what kind of challenges do you get with that? When people come to you, how do they end up coming to you? I guess that's the, the first question. How do they find you? Where do you begin? Most of my clients, actually most of my clients' families, because it's usually the family that finds me, not the client, have found me through referrals, although a few more uh, in growing seem to be finding me through the internet, <laughs> like they're finding everything else. Mm. So they can find me and they can find a lug wrench in the next you know, minute after that. Um, but uh, mostly through referrals, because what I do is rather unusual. There aren't many people who do this, aren't many lawyers. Uh, we're in Ohio and there's maybe 12 of us in Ohio that do this sort of thing. Um, most of them call it life care planning. So referrals really are uh, my main source of how people find me because um, what I do is really unusual. It's hard to explain to somebody in just a few uh, seconds and have them understand it. So uh, it really is somebody who gets what I do more or less and says, oh, you've got a problem. You need to call this guy. And mostly I help people after the long-term long-term need poo has hit the fan. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I clean off fans for a living. And <laughs> Now that we've gotten into a crisis, how can we make it less bad? I, right. almost, I almost never can make it good, unfortunately, but I sure do a pretty good job of making it less bad than it could be otherwise. So we talk about pre-planning. Um, you know, I work, everyone knows I work in the senior care industry as well. We talk about planning for these events. So what you're saying is most people don't plan. They wait till the poop hits the fan. Um, yes and no. Uh, have they done a plan seriously figuring out if I need care, where do I want to go? Who do I, uh, what, what conditions do I want to, to live in? Um, not usually have they done powers of attorney, which is a really good part of pre-planning. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah, usually they've done powers of attorney. Now I can't say I'm a big fan of most of the powers of attorney that hit my desk. I'm quite disappointed and what most attorneys have written uh, for their clients, because most estate planning attorneys are more worried about your death and what's going to happen with your stuff and give what I feel is short shrift 
to the risk, relatively high risk of long-term care before someone dies. Mm -hmm. uh, so powers of attorney are forms uh, with very little thought in them. So I spend a lot of time trying to teach estate planning attorneys what ought to be in there to have an eye toward long-term care. Uh, basically, <laughs> crudely, my message to estate planning attorneys is don't screw this up. So you're not doing estate planning. You're I, No, I don't do estate planning. I tried it. Uh, I don't, don't really enjoy it, but I do estate planning for families where someone has special needs because that is special needs planning. Uh, if okay. I'm if I'm helping the person with special needs, I may be helping them with their estate plan, and that's fine. Uh, I, if it's a child with special needs, I'm often positioning the, the parent's estate plan to set up, uh, or grandparents' estate plan for that matter, um, to set up and take care of the special needs child later in life, but it's still an estate plan of sorts. Mm -hmm. uh, and if, an estate planning friend of mine who really likes estate planning, the, the poor fool, um, he and I have teamed up and we do a lot of this for folks who are planning ahead for people with special needs. Uh, and it's kind of a blend of estate planning and special needs planning. So they get to keep most of control of most of their assets while they still can but then they can uh, give up control and trigger a long-term care plan. Or if they live all the way through to the end with no need for long-term care, then it turns into a, a special needs plan for their loved one. But I so, don't do, I don't do estate planning for, for, you know, Joe Blow and his wife just because I tried it and I don't enjoy it. So I don't figure I pay enough attention to it. So special needs, how many people actually do that? Because I don't see that a lot in, uh, not many. Um, it's it's very difficult to do elder law without running into some special needs. Right. But offering services as a special needs attorney, yeah, that's that's more in Ohio, for example, than um, um, than there are life care planners or life care services firms. But it's it's way fewer than than even elder law firms, and way 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 fewer than estate planning attorneys. So what are challenges? I'm going to jump to the special needs for a minute because I believe there's many people out there who have a special needs child sure. and they don't really think about what's going to happen when they're older and their child may be 40, 50 years old and they're 80. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. Okay. So first let's define special needs as I mean it so we can at least make sure that you and I are on the same page. Uh, I define, let's start with elder law. I define elder law as someone who needs help with activities of daily living, bathing, dressing, cleaning up after going to the bathroom, eating, that sort of stuff. The, the sort mm -hmm. of stuff you see for uh, uh, being eligible for long-term care Medicaid or eligible to start pulling benefits from a long-term care insurance policy. Uh, you just need help the, with the stuff that- Daily life. Yeah, yeah, but-, but um, the stuff that people who don't need long-term care do, you know, they're, they're younger than you, and that's what they do before they go out the door to work. Um, they've done almost all of the activities they are living. Special needs, I describe as someone who can't support themselves through work because of some sort of physical or emotional or mental malady. They are disabled for social security purposes, and so they need to find some way 
to support themselves and a lifestyle, some, at least some sort of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's special needs. So when a family has a special needs child or grandchild or whatever, obviously it's somebody's child. So let's just say child. But there may be grandparents, there may be nieces and nephews, there may be aunts and uncles, um, all that know that Jimmy has some issue, okay? Uh, and more and more, we're seeing autism, for example, people on the autism spectrum. Um, they were, they've been there forever, we just didn't have a label for it 50 years ago. Um, so, but there, there's all sorts of special needs, cerebral palsy, et cetera. The inability to support oneself through work means that maybe there are social security benefits available at some point in their lives. Uh, if they are not yet 18, but they have parents, guardians, grandparents, someone with whom they are living, then that homeowner, let's just say it's the homeowner where they live, whoever it is, uh, may have his or her assets and income deemed to the minor person with disabilities. So SSI, supplemental security income, may not be available. Uh, but once they turn 18, now they don't have enough, they don't have the ability to work because of their disability. Uh, and they become eligible for supplemental security income. Uh, or they had some work experience and a disability arose a uh, car accident, for example, mm -hmm. uh, or they had something that they've had their entire lives and it simply grew worse and worse and worse over time. And now they can't work. And if they have enough of a work history, they can get social security disability income, um, which is based on their own work history. And they can support themselves somewhat that way, depending on the amount of SSDI payments. There's a huge difference there. People on SSI cannot have more than $2,000 in assets and they cannot work enough. They, they cannot work so much they can, that they make what's called substantial, that they perform what's called substantial gainful activity. And I don't remember the exact number, but it's roughly $1,200 a month. If they can earn $1,200 a month gross or over whatever that number is, and 1,200 is the ballpark, but it's not that even a number. Um, then they aren't disabled because they can perform substantial gainful activity. So $100 a month isn't much money. No, it's not. That is entirely true. And the maximum SSI benefit is 841 this year. It'll, it'll increase next year, December, uh, December to January, 22 to 23. Uh, but um, the, uh, but 841 a month isn't much to support themselves. So the family may want to, somebody was trying to call me through Facebook. Sorry about that. I wonder what that weird sound was. Um, and uh, the family may, may want to set aside money for them that would allow the person to have more of a life. Uh, I, I hate to put it that way, but that's probably the, the way to put it. And they can set it aside in a way that can benefit them in a trust. And if they have a trust set up properly, then the, the person will not lose their SSI benefits. Um, if they get money from an inheritance, they're not going to lose SSDI. SSDI is not tested that way, but SSI is. 
In addition, they may rely on low-income Medicaid for their health benefits, uh, or if they get SSDI, they can get Medicare. But if they rely on SSDI, they don't want to lose that medical coverage either. So mm -hmm. family can set up a trust so that money from an older generation, someone closer to the roots of the family tree, can leave money set aside for the disabled family member without the disabled family member losing benefits. And if it was never the disabled family member's uh, money, then after the disabled family member dies, it can then go to anyone else or any charity or whatever the original donor wishes to, to designate. But if, it, if this comes from the disabled person's own money, we call it a first party special needs trust, it has to attempt to repay Medicaid first so whatever, for whatever Medicaid paid for them. Um, that, that is a first party special needs trust and has what's called a Medicaid payback clause in it. And it has to have such a clause, otherwise the contents will be counted against uh, the person and counted as their assets for, for SSI eligibility and Medicaid eligibility purposes. So the idea of planning ahead for a loved one with a disability is figuring out how to put money or other assets aside for them without their losing benefits. Because with special needs, we're potentially talking 30, 40, 50, 60 years of mm -hmm. a life in which they may not be able to support themselves very much at all. So we're looking for other means of support. So anything we can muster, meaning government benefits and family money passed down, is going to benefit this person for what could be a very long life. It's so complicated. I mean, if someone didn't have you to help them navigate, I don't know how they'd get through it. So I can't help but grin at that because in my second semester of law school, my criminal uh, my crim criminal law professor said, complicated, right? Complicated is good. If it were easy, they wouldn't need us. That's true. That's true. You know, the sad part is when you have a special needs child, at least it wasn't our case, we went through so much money in the beginning because we couldn't get insurance for him. And so then when we thought that we needed to start planning, um, we had estate planners who looked at us and said, why don't you have any money? And it was like, uh, I can show you where it all went. And sometimes it, you're made to feel like you are not a good person and not a good parent, yet you were doing everything you needed to in the early stages. Yeah, another reason I don't do estate planning. I just, I got into this, I got into long-term care because I had experience in my own family that made me want to help folks in that situation. And that kind of grew into elder, uh, into special needs because I, I bumped into families who needed it. And I have some uh, a special needs loved one in my family, but probably but pretty high functioning. So I'm not sure it's going to be enough to call special needs. Right. Uh, but still, the, the 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 feeling is there for these folks. Um, and you have no reason to feel bad. But I understand people making you feel bad because the estate planner wanted to plan for more so they could charge you more. Sorry, <laughs> just, just being crude and cruel, but that's my gut feeling to that reaction. But so, bless you for making that effort 
And pre-Obamacare, because they, they could not be health insured, yeah, it, that was a huge, huge, huge struggle. Obamacare Absolutely. is not a panacea, but it is a great improvement for mm. anyone with pre-existing conditions. It is a sea change for those with pre-existing conditions. Absolutely. Well, definitely true for me, coming from that cancer background, for sure. Um, so what happens to the person who comes to you and they don't have assets? How how can they be helped for the future? Do you talk to them about group homes, some place yeah, for them to live, things like group that? Homes, we can talk about housing um, for them. Um, and But we're really looking for stuff that will be supported through SSI, Supplemental Security Income, which is the Social Security, the piece of Social Security that pays people who, who have a disability but don't have a work history that's either recent enough or big enough to to have uh, enough uh, income that reaches $841 a month, okay, through SSDI payments. So if they can't reach $841 a month through SSDI, then they're eligible for SSI, assuming they are disabled. So we've got $841 a month at most to use to take care of this person. Uh, so it may be group homes. It may be finding them, you know, if, if they qualify for, uh, county support the Department of Development on Disabilities. There's a lot of resources there, uh, but there are also lots of charitable resources. Many of them are kind of ailment specific, uh, but some are not. Uh, and it's a ma matter of mustering what makes sense for this person. Um, and it may be something that's not necessarily ailment specific at all. It may be they have special needs, but they're also homeless. So it may be homeless shelter kind of things. Uh, they may be a veteran. So we have veterans things to turn, you know, veterans opportunities to turn to. Um, but it's not a great world out there for people without some sort of resources, but they still need help. So we right. do our best to, to, to muster what we can for them. Can you help somebody if their parent was a veteran? Um, There's something through the Veterans Administration that helps the I, I don't know of anything that helps veterans uh, who, who have disabled children other than there are certain preservation programs for veterans benefits that can be extended to the disabled child. And even more so, that's a, a pension. If not the VA pension program for uh, non-service connected injury or illness, okay, not for disability later in life and medical bills, okay, that that's a different program. But let's say they were lifers in the in the military, or uh, for that matter, lifers anywhere in the government. Um, government pension programs can now, if you set them up appropriately when making choices to take your pension, can divert some money after the pensioner is gone to a special needs uh, dependent. So there's some opportunity. There's some opportunity. It's pretty limited because uh, the, the, the programs for uh, government lifetime government employees are, or at least long-term government employees are for the employee, just like a Ford pension mm -hmm. is for the retiree. Um, so, and, and VA benefits are much the same way. There's a lot of things there for the spouse, and there are some things there for dependent children if the veteran 
became ill or injured for, because of something that happened in the military. That's the compensation program, which can then morph into, after the veteran has passed away, the dependent and indemnity um, compensation program called DIC, which is for dependents. It could be a parent if the veteran died young. It, it could be a spouse uh, or a dependent child, but that really kicks in, the DIC really kicks in only if the veteran was 100% disabled for, for at least seven years or died while still in the service. Okay. So that's, that's limited as well. And an adult child, uh, yes, a dependent adult may qualify, but you're going to have an uphill battle proving dependency on someone who's over 18, even if there's special needs. The government so, program is squeezed by congressional budgets like everybody else. Right. It's not a popular place for, for Congress to put money. So are there categories for special needs that are more likely to get help than others? Um, yes, but not necessarily appreciably more help. Again, uh, if someone has developmental disabilities of, of any sort and the onset before age 22 can be proven, then Department of Developmental Disabilities in the county can be uh, looked upon to provide some services. They too are pressed for money, so you may have to fight to get there. But I had actually had this with a ward of mine. I'm a volunteer guardian. Uh, I had a ward who suffered a traumatic brain injury and he was pretty young at the time. I was not his guardian until years after the injury. Uh, I was like his second or third guardian. Um, and I, I just dug and dug and dug to see if I could get developmental disabilities to pony up some benefits for him. And it, I was really trying to find out, was he injured before age 22? And he was injured. Uh, his brain injury was at 22 years and three months. So he could oh not get at that point. Okay. So uh, you lost out on that. Yeah. Uh, there are, because through, um, through the Milestones program and Autism Speaks program, there are benefits for people on, on the spectrum. Um they are mostly programs, not cash benefits, but educational programs are awesome. Um, and that obviously is ailment specific uh, to people on the spectrum. Uh, there's what used to be called here in Cleveland, United Cerebral Palsy, I can't remember what they call themselves now, uh, but that was cerebral palsy, cerebral palsy focused. But there are very few government programs that are aimed at specific maladies unless the government caused it. Uh, for example, uh, Native Americans whose ancestors have been pushed around the country uh, or Agent Orange exposure in Vietnam. Um, and now currently, I mean, you, you're seeing the advertisements all over TV if you bother to watch television for uh, claims for those sub, uh, subjected to water contamination in Camp Lejeune. So are can't those miss that food? if you watch TV, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, you can't miss it if you watch TV, because once the fund opened up, boy, it was just, you get blitzed with it. Um, and uh, it just, it's just crazy. But there is a fund there. There's also a special program under the VA, several special programs under the VA compensation program and particular exposure to toxins in the, in the field uh, that include Camp Lejeune, burn pits uh, at 
um, far-flung military bases as a way to dispose of trash and then the chemicals that come off of that. And oil well fires in the uh, Desert Shield Desert Storm era that were set by the uh, Iraqis as they retreated. So all those are toxic air exposures, for example. So there are special programs for that, but those tend to come out of military service. So that is more VA practice or elder law practice than it is special needs. But there are lots and lots of charities and it's one maybe that supports this particular uh, person's particular ailment um, that may make a fit. But government programs, there aren't many of them that are ailment specific. At least not that I've run into. I, I will admit I do far more elder law than special needs law and I haven't had to dig into a special government program for a client yet. So do you come across somebody who crosses both elder law and special needs? Yes, yes, I do. Um, and it really tends to morph into uh, long-term care stuff, elder law, simply because long-term care Medicaid provides more benefits. Uh, but the, the long-term care Medicaid program has lots and lots of different variations we call them waiver programs because uh, the, the basic long-term care Medicaid program is you are in a nursing home and need nursing home care in a nursing home and every other variation on that. You need some sort of long-term care, but you're not in a nursing home. That's a waiver. It's a waiver of your need to be in a nursing home. So assisted living is a waiver, not necessarily a special needs waiver, but you can be in assisted living and get Medicaid. But there are at least 20 different waiver programs that are pointed at people with special needs. Um, level one, choices, home care, all sorts of them. Uh, some of them had, there's a mishmash of benefits, uh, some educational, some vocational. It really depends on the person's needs um, and which one fits best. But again, not ailment specific. And it is kind of a morph of special needs law and elder law because the qualifications for long-term care Medicaid are the same if you are trying to, other than being in a nursing home, are the same if you're in a nursing home uh, or if you're trying to get some sort of special needs waiver through the home care waiver, for example, or the choices waiver. Um, so there's a, there's a blend there because the qualifications are the same and the need to be poor enough to qualify, as he's making furiously making air quotes, um, is, is the same in long-term care Medicaid and these special needs waivers. Uh, and for, that's the same for assisted living waiver, which is not a special need, but just a, a, a nursing home light sort of situation. Who does these evaluations? Who determines, you know, what kind of needs you really have? Well, the, it, it's kind of a, how much need do you have determination? Uh, it, it's called a level of care assessment, although uh, that's kind of the overarching concept in a nursing home. It's got one name and assisted living. It's got another name and staying, trying to stay home. It's got another name, but they're still all the same thing. Do you need help at two activities of daily living or do you bathing, dressing, cleaning up after toileting? Or, or do you need help with one of those in medication management? Are you at risk to yourself and others if you aren't in a secure environment? Um, so generally that decision is made by, in Ohio anyway, 
by the Area Agency on Aging or whatever. There's a couple of places where they don't call it the AALA. They call it the Passport Administrative Agency. They're the same thing, just different names in different parts of the state. Um, and except for um, a the nursing home, when it's a long-term care, assisted living home care sort of thing, not the home care waiver, but the passport waiver for uh, medic, uh, nursing home type services, but at home, those are the determinations. The, the assessment is actually performed by the area agency on aging. Uh, and nursing home is performed by the nursing home, but then blessed by the area agency on aging. But if it's one of the other waivers, it's gonna be the appropriate government agency, Department of Development on Disabilities, for example, it might be the Department of Mental Health. Uh, so it's really which waiver program are you pursuing if it's not a straight up long-term care need, a bathing, dressing, toileting, et cetera. Right. Um, but there is a, uh, for the long-term care ones, they all go through the area agency on aging because long-term care needs are assumed to be, well, just in most of the times they are real age related, but the others may go through DD or mental health. So when I was a student at Cleveland State in psychology, I had a placement at a nursing home. And there was a young woman there who looked to be eight, but was more like 28. And she was left there. Oh. Who, who advocates for them? Is that something that you can be a guardian for? Do they come to you for that? Who, how does that person get taken care of? Okay, if the person cannot take care of himself or herself, or is not yet 18, then a guardian is appropriate. They may not want a guardian. Um, they may fight back against that. And they may not be so bad off that they need a guardian. Who's they? You mean the I'm, I'm, the I'm talking about the person who is alleged to need a guardian. Yeah, she, she was non-communicative. She yeah. just laid there. Okay, so... Um, now, alternatively, if there's still a next of kin, a parent, for example, um, then you don't need a guardian if the person's under 18. If they're over 18 and advocacy is getting done, then don't get a guardian because all you're doing is inviting a hemorrhoid. Sorry, probate court friends of mine, but guardianship's a hemorrhoid. Um, but if advocacy's not getting done, if, if this person needs an advocate, and cannot advocate for themselves, and there are not good powers of attorney in place allowing the agent named in these powers of attorney to advocate for this person, then a guardianship would be appropriate. Uh, I'm not going to make the judgment, you know, from just, just blanket that everyone who looks right. like they need a guardian is going to get a guardian, or anywhere, everyone who looks like they need a guardian actually is so bad off that they need a guardian. Uh, that is a question for the probate court, and it is a huge judgment question subject to second guessing left and right. But the probate court has that job. Right. And but you'd need somebody to volunteer to be the guardian. If the person has money, there are lawyers ready to be guardian to collect the fee out of the money. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they are friends of the probate court to make sure, darn sure the probate court knows they're available to help. If there isn't money, then you may have to try to point these folks at 
someone who volunteers to do this stuff. Summit County, where I'm a volunteer guardian, has relatively active, a pretty active program. That's just we can't find enough guardians. Uh, I don't think that any county that has a volunteer guardianship program can find enough uh, volunteers. Uh, Cuyahoga County has a program. I don't think they call it volunteer guardians, but there's something in Cuyahoga County. Medina County has a volunteer guardian program. Um, and I know that other counties are pursuing it or already have it have it set up. I don't know that all 88 counties in Ohio are doing it, but boy, I sure hope they are. I hope they're following the lead of the, the counties that have them. Um, but they're struggling to find guardians too. So anyone so, listening to this, if you're looking for a way to help somebody to, to participate in the community and give back, please consider being a volunteer guardian. There are lots of other opportunities for you to volunteer, but this is one where you are helping one person. You get to meet who they are. You get to see the benefits of your work, uh, of your volunteerism, and you may make a great connection. Um, and, and you really feel I'm helping this person out. So tell, right tell the people listening what's involved in being a guardian, because I think that's part of it, that people okay. are unsure of what that means. And you took okay. the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, hey, put your plea out there for that. So tell them what's involved. OK, to be if you were considering being a volunteer guardian, then chances are you're not going to have to do much with money because volunteer guardian programs are not going to find volunteers if they had to go through all the hassles of monitoring money to the, to the satisfaction of the probate court. So the volunteer programs that I know about uh, have volunteers that only are guardian of the person. So they are making healthcare decisions. They are following up to make sure that the person is, if they need shoes, they're on the social workers at the nursing home or the social worker, their case managers through, um, through their home care visits. Uh, that, that, hey, this person needs shoes, um, that sort of thing. I tried to visit at least once a month. Uh, I've had to skip a few months because of COVID lockouts because my, uh, my wards are all in a nursing home. But mm -hmm. I try to visit at least once a month and check how they are. Um, mine are relatively non-communicative. I'm not sure that of my, I'm sure there's one who doesn't really recognize me. Uh, or, and I'm not sure any of the three of them really understand that I'm their guardian, what that means. But you visit somebody, you make an annual report to the court of, are they doing okay? Do they need to be in a different place? Is, or is the place that, that they are uh, okay for them? Um, and do, who's the doctor? And a lot of this, once you've done a report, assuming there's no change, then you can do the same thing over and over each year for the most part. Uh, but the big thing is simply visiting and checking on them. And if there is a problem, either being a jerk about it, advocating for them yourself, or getting in touch with your contact at the probate court and having the probate court be the heavy. Now, before getting the court involved, it needs to be pretty big because the court's pretty tapped for time. Uh, but I can be a bit of a jerk sometimes, so I generally do my own advocacy. Um, I try not to be a jerk, but if you cross me, we're going to have a problem. Um, let's face it, I'm a lawyer, okay? I believe I gotta, that. I got to because you got to put my put on my lawyer. I'm a jerk lawyer hat. Um, so uh, I sometimes have to put on that hat. But I've been pretty lucky, except for that ward who had uh, the traumatic brain injury, because uh, we had some problem. I had some some disagreements with his first nursing home on how his care went. 
but he was pretty healthy, but I just was not into their behavior modification program and told him so. Um, but uh, it, it really is a matter of giving a, a little bit of your time and, and making a visit, checking on the person. I know some of my, with passwords, I've had a really close connection. The three I've got now, they, they're all suffering from dementia and they mm. really don't grasp who I am when I walked in and they still don't grasp who I am a year later. Um, but my my first ward, the guy with traumatic brain injury, he recognized me. He liked spending time with me. He, he wanted to talk and I was a bit of a window on the outside world for him. Uh, and I know another friend of mine who's a volunteer guardian, I mean, she goes and they play music together and her kids know her ward. Um, and uh, he, he, she really feels like he's a, she's involved with him. And she really is. She's great. She'd, she'd be a wonderful volunteer. She is a wonderful volunteer guardian, I'm sure. Um, and so you, you can have something very, very rewarding and a personal connection or if, like mine have become kind of a, a service for somebody who doesn't have anybody else. Mm hmm. But it's still fulfilling. Well, it takes a special person to want to do that. And it's only a little bit of time. There's no money involved, right? No. You're just giving well, up your time. Well, there's a little bit of money involved. If, they, if they're poor enough not to need a guardian of the estate, there's still some money because they've got some money coming in, even if it's just through SSI. And generally, they don't spend it all each month. So you occasionally get to tell the nursing home, hey, okay, they, they're over $2,000. What are we going to do with this? to keep them on their Medicaid. But well, uh, what I meant is but you don't no have to report to the court about it. But it's no money on your part. Oh no 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 You're volunteering. No, no, no. Yeah. If You're you just choose giving to, up your time. Buy a gift for your ward, then that is some money. But there's no personal money obligation involved whatsoever. It's just your time. Mm -hmm. Which in my book is more valuable than money. Yeah, that's you true. Always get more money, we're not going to have any more time. That's absolutely true. Karen, do you have any more questions related to that? Because I didn't expect to go to this, but I think it's really important, specifically at this time of year, people are very lonely going into the holidays. So to have somebody who's willing to come and visit and spend some time with you means a lot. Well, and I also understand in the last couple of years, um, to be a guardian, you now have to take some classes. Um I know I have a friend who had a disabled daughter and when her daughter turned 21, um, the court was going to assign a guardian, even though the mother has been doing a great job and she had to go through training. Is that yeah. still going on? Yeah. Um, that grew out of abuse of the system by some of those lawyers that I talked about that are just hanging out at the probate court waiting to become named a guardian and and getting fees by doing that. Some of them had so many wards that they couldn't visit them even once a year. Um, right. So they were getting rich off this. And I don't mind them getting rich, but uh, you got to perform the service. You got to be real guardian. You got to check in on your people. Um, so those classes came out as one of the responses to that because there was a scathing, scathing article in the Columbus Dispatch about um, how guardians were really abusing the system and not providing much in the way of uh, involvement with their wards. And that was fair. Um, now, I know some counties will waive the guardianship training uh, for uh, family guardians. Some counties will not. 
And those that, that have waived it may have been slapped on the wrist. I don't know. Um, some counties will uh, have uh, allow volunteer guardian programs to have alternate training programs. Uh, for example, my volunteer guardian uh, program here in uh, Summit County uh, has a training of some sort. I think I've seen a notice uh, almost once a month. I don't think we're doing anything in December just because December is so crazy anyway. But uh, but we are doing something for the wards. We have actually this week we are uh, uh, gathering donations of uh, items to put into goodie bags for the various wards. And I have to pick mine up on uh, Wednesday. Uh, they're being put together Wednesday, and I'm hoping to be able to pick them up that day. Um, so that's pretty cool. But that's, I, I think, in lieu of training that we are doing that this month. But there is a training at least once a month um, it, or even twice a month, but it may be the same training. Uh, and I think the probate courts have generally accepted that in lieu of the class. Love it. But so, yeah, it is there. It's it's not horrible. Um, but when you get to the end of it, you may go, oh, geez, that was a pain. Uh, <laughs> it, it's like sitting in an eight-hour lecture. Um, but it's... It's an effort to have guardians understand more of what their obligations are. Sure. Because they are guardians, paid or not, they're guardians looking out for somebody else and that somebody else mm -hmm. is depending on them. So, yeah, it's a pain to have to take the training, but imagine the pain of a ward who doesn't really have a guardian looking out for them. I'll take that trade. Right. Absolutely. So, Jim, we're, I can't believe we're already 40, almost 45 minutes into well, this You know me, I can talk forever. <laughs> we could. And lawyers well, you can, can talk too, forever. by the way, but you let me do it this time. Yeah, 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 I know. So <laughs> tell everybody how they can reach out to you if they need more information, if they want your services. How do they reach out to you? Okay. My tagline is protecting seniors and people with special needs. So my website is a shorter version of that, protectingseniors.com. If you want to email me, you can email me at james at protectingseniors.com. Uh, but my website and my blog, my blog is protectingseniorsnews.com. Uh, each of those sites has a contact me page that I think is working at the moment. I mean, it's a website. It, go, it comes and goes as it pleases. Uh, but that's the easiest way to reach me. You can try to call, but like everyone else, I'm not necessarily ready to answer the phone at the moment. So email is definitely the easiest way to find me. Okay. Karen, any more questions for Jim tonight? Did we learn a lot? I think we did. Oh, I think we learned a lot. And like you said, Melinda, this is the perfect time of year to hear about this because many of us are sitting back saying, what is it that I can do to be a better person next year? And I didn't even know that people were in need that we didn't have enough guardians. And right. that's a wonderful thing to be able to share this time of year. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Jim. I appreciate you being on. Thank you for the invitation. You do awesome work. You know, I feel that way. Thank you, Melinda. You're welcome. Thank you, everybody. And uh, to all of you who were listening to this live tonight, feel free to contact us and let us know if you have any more questions for Jim. You can get